0: Turn, if you would, to John chapter 4. I was reminded once again yesterday that we do live in Texas. I was driving down I-35. I went down to San Marcos to listen to my daughter sing. And I, on I-35, and I look up, and here come three horses running across the highway (laughs) with two police cars with their lights flashing, chasing them. (laughs) Not on the highway, across the highway. And I go, this must be Texas. (laughs) So I was in San Marcos at 11 o'clock last night, so it was a a late, uh, an early morning for me or something. We're continuing to work through our questions that Jesus asks people. And today we have what should be the most benign question in the world. The question is simply this. Will you give me a drink? But the context of it is exceptionally important. The context of why Jesus asked this question. And we have a lot of uh, verses to cover here. And if we get about halfway through and uh, see that the other crowd is gathering outside, we may just quit and finish it next week. Because I'm not sure I can rush through this one on a good day. So... Let's pick up at verse 4 of chapter 4. Now, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. He is up in Galilee, up in the northern part of Israel, and he needs to go down to Jerusalem. And to do so, he has to go through the portion of the country known as Samaria. Let's remind ourselves of what the, who the Samaritans are. When the nation of Israel was carried into captivity, some were left behind. Those who um, really didn't have any value to the conquerors. They were left behind and they tended to intermarry with the locals, whoever the locals might be. So they were Jews, sort of. And the Jews really really looked down on them. I mean, they were dirt. The Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, but the Samaritans had set up their own place of worship elsewhere. In the same way that when Israel and Judah split in half, Israel, the northern kingdom, had its places of worship because the rulers didn't want the people going down to Jerusalem and thus losing their connection to the northern kingdom. So the Samaritans had their own place of worship. They were probably of some mixed blood of some sort, and they were really looked down upon by the Jews. Now, to get from Galilee to Jerusalem, you almost had to go through Samaria. But not always. Because a lot of good Jews would simply cross over the Jordan River, go south, and then cross back over the Jordan River and go into Jerusalem, thus bypassing the whole area of Samaria. But it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. The question is, did he have to do it because that was the shortest path, or did he have to do it? Because God had something in mind for him to do. God had a plan that involved Jesus touching someone's life in Samaria. Let's keep going. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Simple picture. He is walking, and he finds a place to rest, and he stops. It is the middle of the day. We will see in a moment that the disciples are with him. The disciples go into town. He is there by himself. Keep reading. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Now, there is a significance here. She is there by herself. Jesus is there by himself. Why isn't everyone else drawing water? Well, it's the middle of the day. Generally, people would come later in the day to draw water for their flocks, etc., This woman is not the most accepted woman in town. We will find that out later. Even to the Samaritans, she was at the bottom of the pecking order. And Jesus asked her a question Will you give me a drink? Simple question. Why do you think he asked her? Go ahead, give me the obvious answer. He was thirsty. He was thirsty. But, comma, no Jewish man would ever ask a Samaritan woman for anything, much less a cup of water. Because, by definition, it's going to be polluted when she hands it to him. But Jesus is not concerned about this. Now, at this point... We have to stop and envision whatever your worst mental image of racial tensions between different ethnic groups so that you can understand the intensity of this situation. This is not just some normal guy and some normal woman. This is um, the deep south and you have the black and the white. This is Africa where you have the Hootsies and the Tutsus killing each other. This is whatever bad ethnic conflict you want t- to envision. That's what we see here. And he asked her a simple question. He asked her the simple question because, first off, he was thirsty. He was tired of his busy day, and he was thirsty. He wanted a drink. But secondly... He wanted to draw her into a conversation. I mean, if all he wanted was a glass of water, if all he wanted was a drink, that would have been the end of this whole conversation. Give me the water. He takes it. But that's not the end of it. That's only the beginning of it. What we see Jesus doing is taking every opportunity to draw other people into conversations about the kingdom of God. Which brings us to the obvious question. Why don't we do that? He asked her for something. It is interesting the way the dynamics work. If I ask you for something, if I ask you to help me, It is showing that I view myself in need of something that you can provide. It is almost a humbling experience, but you would be amazed the doors that it opens for conversation. Because it is showing, in this case, that Jesus isn't viewing himself as superior or arrogant toward this woman. He's viewing her as a human being. And he's asking her for help. Once again, the obvious question. Why don't we do that? Why don't we draw these conversations toward heavenly things? Let's keep going. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Stop right there. I have no idea how she knew he was a Jew, whether it was his dress Whether it was his dialect, I suspect it was a little of both. I suspect there was enough of a difference between the societies that you could tell um, one from another. I had a friend who was from uh, Lebanon. And I asked him one time, I said, can you tell, you know, like a Lebanese from a Jordanian from a this? And he says, once they open their mouth, I know. Okay, Just from the dialects and the way people talk. So it was obvious to her that she knew the impact of what was going on. She knew that there was a difference between them. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? It's not kind of how dare you, as much as it's amazement that you the super race, the Jews, would ask me the dirt for a drink. It's more amazement. How can you ask me? How can you do that? It is obviously, it is obvious that this woman had suffered before from being put, by being put in her place for being a Samaritan. As we'll see in a moment, I mean, she's kind of at the bottom of the pecking order as it is. She is used to being put down. She She expects Jewish men to mock her and make fun of her. And that's not what she's seeing. And she is shocked by it. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. question. Who is it that we come in contact with that we don't associate with? I don't know who it is for you, okay? You know, if you're a, a college-educated person and you're, you look down on non-college-educated people, so you don't associate with them, if, whether it's a racial issue, an economic issue, uh, I'm a Baptist and I don't associate with the... Whatever it is, she was well aware of the fact that his group didn't associate with her group. And here he goes saying, please give me a drink. He didn't address any of that at all. Comes the next comment. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now let's face it. This is a bizarre thing to say. Okay? And she's going to view it as a bizarre thing. We see this throughout Jesus' ministry, where he'll be talking to an individual. We saw this in the last chapter when he talked to Nicodemus. He'll be talking to an individual and they'll be thinking physical things. But Jesus has already left the physical material realm and has moved to the spiritual realm and is going to talk about spiritual things. Remember, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus responds, what do you mean? I've got to enter my mother's womb another time and be born? Physical process, it didn't make any sense to him. But Jesus wasn't talking physical. Jesus was talking spiritual. And it's going to take this woman a little bit of time to figure that out. It would take any of us a little bit of time to figure that out he is going to talk about spiritual nourishment spiritual water look at the way that he starts it if you knew this is different than what we've seen on a couple of occasions where jesus is talking to the pharisees where he's talking to the disciples where he's talking to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee but was a a very compassionate Pharisee. To them, he would say, "Why don't you know these things? You ought to know these things." Remember last week when we talked about the parable of the uh, actually two weeks we talked about the parable of the uh, s- soils two weeks ago, and Jesus the disciples come to Jesus and they go. Tell us what this parable means. And he goes, don't you understand? When Jesus is dealing with the Jewish community that has access to the law, has access to the Old Testament, he chastises them for not understanding certain things. He chastises them for not having the knowledge that they ought to have had they correctly interpreted the Old Testament scriptures. When Jesus is talking to this woman, he doesn't chastise her at all. All he says is, if you had known, if you did know, then this is what you would understand. It isn't, why don't you understand? This is significant when we're dealing with sharing the gospel, sharing the scripture with someone else. There are congregations. I mean, when I talk to you, many of you, most of you, I don't know, grew up in a Christian environment, had access to the Bible all of your life, and there are things we ought to know. We ought to know these things. But if you move to the outside world, you need to understand that there are things that they just don't know. I heard a wonderful sermon one time. The guy was talking about um, even 30 years ago, 50 years ago, for sure, in this country, you could w- use words like sin and heaven and hell and God and have a reasonable expectation that people would know what those words meant. This guy said that you know, young uh, earlier in his career. He was very involved in evangelism explosion where you'd go ask the questions, if you were to die tonight, you know, today, where would you spend eternity? And he says that was fine as long as you're dealing with a community that has the basic understanding of Christian things. Well, this individual is now a pastor in New York City, and he says I deal with people who the word sin does not mean anything to them in a spiritual context. And his discussion was about the fact we have to change our presentation of the gospel, not change the gospel. The gospel doesn't change. We cannot assume, though, an understanding of basic biblical things. So Jesus does not chastise this woman. He simply states, if you had known, this is what you would understand you would understand that I have something to offer you that is better than what is at the bottom of this well. Let's keep reading. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Once again, her mind is still thinking physical things. The guy's talking about water physical water that you put in a bucket there's the well it's a deep well he has nothing to get the water out of the well with are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as he as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds Jacob Jacob had to have a bucket I mean let's get down to the bottom line Jacob had to use a bucket to get water out of the well. We, the Samaritans, have to use a bucket to get water out of the well. What are you saying, Jewish man? Are you saying that you're better than Jacob? That's her statement to Jesus. Jesus responds again, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus, spiritual, woman, physical. Jesus, back to the spiritual dimension. What I am offering you is eternal life. What I'm offering you is the living water that will produce in you eternal life. She's beginning to figure this out. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Well, maybe she hasn't figured it out. She's still thinking physical. She's sitting here thinking, every day, I've got to come to this public place. I've got to come here with my bucket. Every day I have to do this. And I don't know what this guy is offering me, but he's telling me that if I drink this water, I will never have to come back to this well. That's what she's thinking. That's what's going through her mind. All of a sudden... She is going to be free of the burden of the work. But she's also going to be free of the shame of coming into the public arena. Why would there be shame for her to enter the public arena? He told her, this is Jesus, go call your husband and come back. Let's face it, that's a pretty bizarre question, a pretty bizarre comment to make. Here we are talking about living water. Here we are talking about physical water in her mind. We're talking about water, and he turns to her and says, go get your husband. Simple enough. I mean, if you were going to make a random guess, the average woman at the time probably has a husband. So he is just making up some random comment. Hmm, not quite. Jesus doesn't do random. I have no husband, she replied. Okay? Could be. Jesus had made a guess. Go get your husband. She replied, I have no husband. But Jesus told her, you are right. Right? When you say you have no husband, you answer truthfully. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, just said, is quite true. This woman had fought, had five husbands. Now, we're not told what happened to the five husbands. Okay? Either she bumped them all off for the insurance money. I doubt it, or they found some problem with her, potentially, what would the problem be? She's had five husbands, and she's living with another man now. Who knows? There was probably a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh somewhere in the background that weren't husbands but were involved somehow. Why did she go to the well in the middle of the day when nobody else was there? Because the community looked down upon her and she hid her shame by going when they weren't around. She knew, the community knew, that she had done something wrong. And here Jesus is telling her, here's why you come to the well in the middle of the day. Why do you think he brought this up? He wanted her to know, I know all about you. You're not fooling me at all. I know all about you. And I'm here to offer you eternal life. You're not the purest woman in this community. You're not a pure Jew. You're not any of that. And I know it. I know who you are. And I want to give you eternal life. It isn't, you're the best person, therefore you win the lottery, therefore I'll give you eternal life. It isn't, you're the best person, the smartest person, the most beautiful person, the most righteous person, you pick any adjective, adverb you want, this could go on forever. No, it is none of that. What did we see in chapter 3? For God so loved a Samaritan woman, That he gave his only begotten son. That if that Samaritan woman believed in him. That Samaritan woman would have eternal life. We live in a community of people who suffer guilt, shame, remorse for the things that have happened to them. And if we as a Christian community go into that community and pound them on their heads for what they have done, we are not offering the gospel. We're offering a whack up the side of the head. Probably, her comment was that aren't the poor and those who have nothing else uh, more attached? I mean, easier to, um, is it easier for them to accept the kingdom? And the answer is maybe, maybe not. There comes a point where either through a hardened heart, we talked about that several weeks ago, um, there's lots of responses to the gospel. That was the discussion of the four soils. And we know, biblically, that lots of wealth can be a distraction. But lots of poverty can be a distraction, too. So, Jesus knew her situation. Now, he has her attention. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Why did she say that? Come on, this is an easy question. He knew all about her. He knew what kind of person she was. You know, we don't know the tone that Jesus had in verse 17. We don't know. I mean, if you wanted to be a Pharisee, You could envision a tone of verse 17 and 18, you wretched person, but I don't think that's what it was. If that was the case, he would not have commended her for telling the truth. He commended her for saying she has no husband. At this point in time, she has no husband. I think he spoke to her out of love and she responded, I know you're a prophet. Yes, Jim. Well, that's a possibility. We don't know. Okay. The thing is, mm-hmm. a lot of times when, when we're dealing with people, you know, they are a victim of circumstances, mm-hmm. yet they need God. Yeah. And we need to, to recognize that uh, that we need to help them out of those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an interesting point. You know, did you hear his comment? Maybe she was just a victim of circumstances. And, and I'm not sure I would lean that way. You know, maybe one or two marriages, I'd give you that. Five? Hmm. <laughs> But either way, either way, he doesn't, (laughs) Jesus doesn't get into that discussion. He doesn't get into that discussion. Isn't that what we'd want to do? Let's talk about husband number three. Why did, what happened to him? What about number four? Uh, Yes, I did. I didn't repeat it, did I? Okay. And, yeah, and that's what he does. He doesn't get into any discussion about the cause and effect relationship. He's not doing marriage mentoring at this point. (laughs) Go ahead. That's a... You cannot get saved until you first get lost, until you know that you're lost, that you're in need. Yes, Jerry. yeah <laughs> yeah, well, these are Samaritans. Maybe they have their own rules. I don't know. We don't know it's irrelevant. That is the point. Jesus was not going to ask this woman to clean up her life. So that she would be worthy of receiving eternal life. He was going to give her eternal life. And then she was going to clean up her life. We don't really see what happens. We see that she became quite an evangelist. That comes probably in next week's lesson. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I mean... Here she is, a Samaritan woman. She knows she's a Samaritan. Jesus knows she's a Samaritan. So she's got one strike against her when this conversation begins. And all of a sudden, this stranger knows her life story. If I were her, my first response is shock. My second is shame. And my third is, gosh, where did this guy get this information? Nobody told him. This guy's got to be a prophet. Jesus declared, oh, no, uh, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Why did she say this? Because they, their own that, uh, her they did. But why now? Here we are talking about living water. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about her marriages. And she brings up a theological debate. Well, there are some commentators who believe that she's just trying to change the subject. Okay? She doesn't want to talk about her five husbands. She doesn't want Jesus to talk about her five husbands. Let's change the subject. You know, It's like when you go to somebody and say, do you want to receive Jesus Christ? And they say, what about the native in Africa that never heard? Well, that may be interesting, and it's a legitimate debate. It's totally irrelevant at that point in time. We're not talking about the person in Africa. We're talking about you right here. What are you going to do? Or they want to talk about predestination. Go figure. Story of my life. (laughs) I guess it was predestined. Um, They want to change the subject. But maybe that's not why she's asking the question. She knows she has been excluded from the community in which she lives. She's been excluded from the Jewish community because of her ethnic background. And she is excluded from the Jewish community, which prevents her from worshiping God. And she just realized this guy is a prophet of God. It's really important to her where worship is to occur Because we have a woman who's been excluded from all of this. I mean, if I acknowledge that this person standing in front of me is a prophet, yet at the same time believe that I have no hope because I've been excluded from Jerusalem, all I have is despair. There is no hope for me and she asked the question and as Mike pointed out just like the northern and the southern kingdom each had their places of worship Samaria had its mountain that people worshipped on they didn't want them to go to Jerusalem in this case they couldn't go to Jerusalem the Jewish priest would not allow the Samaritans to worship there so they Constructed their own. So, the lady asked, we worship here, you worship over there. What's the solution to this? Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when we will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I hope you appreciate the significance of that sentence. For a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, to state that at some point in time, that temple in Jerusalem will be irrelevant. That's quite a thing to say. If he were saying this to a Jewish audience with the priest and the Sadducees on the periphery, he'd be in deep trouble, deep trouble. Deep trouble. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when we will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Basically, he's saying, you have a, you have a knowledge problem. You're ignorant. And he's not chastising them. He's simply acknowledging you're doing the wrong thing. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. We see this in the book of Romans, where Paul is talking over and over again, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. That was the progression. Salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when true, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit And truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. This is one of the most significant verses in all the Bible about the nature of God. We are not Mormons. God does not have a physical body. God is a pure spiritual being. We're going to talk about this next week. I want to get a few more verses, and we'll come back to this particular passage next week. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She Has enough connection to the Jewish community to live in expectation of the Messiah. Now, as a Samaritan, she worries that when the Messiah comes along, all he's going to do is zap the Samaritans. You know, you're not good Jews, we're going to zap. But at least she acknowledges at some point the Messiah is going to come and all of this will make sense. Then Jesus declared. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. When he's dealing with Jewish communities, he's a little more circumvent about. I mean, he's a little more, you know, around the edge. You know, he makes the comment before. Moses was, I am. And they all go, Oh, I am. He's saying that he's God. We saw several weeks ago, only God can forgive sins. Wait, you just forgave sins. You must think you're God. Oh, yeah. But it's all kind of around the edges. But he gets to this Samaritan woman, there's no beating around the bush at all. She's sitting there going, Gosh. The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to explain all of this to us. And he simply turns to her and says, that's me. That's me. We will continue the story next week. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you that Jesus is the source of living water. I pray, Lord, that we, like Jesus, would seek out those who are lost. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.